If you would, open your Bibles to 2 Kings, and the chapter will be 5. 2 Kings, chapter 5. <clears throat> I believe it is people often mis, uh, <clears throat> misunderstand or underestimate the value of the Old Testament Scriptures to the Christian today. Truly, we are under a new law. Those things under the old law, we're not bound to those ceremonial laws, but still the things found within the Old Testament Scriptures are valuable for us today. Paul said to the Romans, chapter 15, verse 4, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. He also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, that some of those accounts that we read of, like the one we're about to read, were examples. They were written for our admonition. In other words, they were written to be warnings for us that we should not do the things that they did and be condemned as many of them were. He also said to Timothy that the verse that was read to us a moment ago that uh, those, that those Old Testament scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation. With these things in mind, I want us to notice this account together from about a man by the name of Naaman. We're going to read the account of the healing of Naaman. <clears throat> and I believe all these statements, all these values of Old Testament scriptures that I just mentioned are especially seen in this account. This is a, a wonderful account, very applicable uh, to situations that we often see in our day. <clears throat> let's note it, let's go ahead and look right into the text. Let's begin with chapter 1 of 2 Kings, or excuse me, verse number 1 of chapter, of chapter 5, 2 Kings. Now Naaman Captain of the host of the king of uh, captain of the host of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And so here in this first verse, we're introduced to this man by the name of Naaman. Maybe many of us are already very familiar with this account, and still others, this might be the first time you've ever really studied this account. We're introduced to this man, Naaman. He was a great man, an honorable man, a man of great physical prowess and renown. In fact, he was the second man in power. He was the right-hand man of the king of Syria, who was a man by the name of Ben-Hadad at that time. Naaman had, it seemed like he had everything going for him, but this one problem that emerges in the last few words following that word, but, but he was a leper. He had a disease known as leprosy, a disease for which there is no earthly cure. Now today it is certainly treatable, much more than it was in those times, but there's still no cure for leprosy. Leprosy was a terrible disease. It, it, had, uh, it was characteristic of spots all over one's body like a, like a, like a leopard. And, but it, as, it, as the condition got worse and worse, and especially in the extremities of the body, the fingers, the toes, the lips, the nose, these 
appendages of the body would often rot off. And, and so it would leave a human being. It didn't normally kill a human being, but it would leave them dis, disfigured. And it was a very contagious disease. And so not only would it, it affect the person psychologically, it would affect them sociably. Not only did they look like a monster, but they had to live separate and apart from people most of their lives because people were afraid of them. This was one of the most deadly scourges uh, in, in these biblical times. People would have, next to death, leprosy was one of the things that no one would have wanted this curse. They considered it a curse to even have a leprosy. And so here's a man, and he's in such high renown, he's got everything going for him, but he's got this deadly, or there's this incurable disease. Now, please don't miss a correlation here that is going to relate to our application. We really don't need to miss this. You see, throughout Scripture, the disease of leprosy is often used as a figure of another disease, sin. It's used as a figure of sin, and so... Naaman was suffering from a physical disease from which there was no earthly cure. But don't miss the point here that as Christians, now how is this verse going to make us wise into salvation? How is it going to be a warning and admonish us? As a Christian, or as human beings, we all have a spiritual disease from which there is no cure. And that's, that disease, of course, you know, is sin. Let's continue now in verses 2 through 5, and let's find out what happens next to Naaman. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captives out of the land of Israel, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to go, and I will send a letter into the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment or clothing. And so Naaman, he gets word from this little servant girl that there is a prophet in the land of Israel that can heal leprosy. And what he does next is, one, is a great example. It's probably the thing that all of us would have done, I hope. And that is, he drops everything and, he's, and he wants to go find this cure for leprosy. Now I think of all the things that Naaman does throughout this account, this is the best example that he ever gives us. Wouldn't it be great if everyone treated that spiritual disease of sin in the same way that Naaman treated this physical disease of leprosy. When he learned of a cure, he was willing to drop everything immediately and go at any cost and any distance. He was willing to do it because he wanted to find a cure. That's a great example for us today, but that's where unfortunately the good examples of Naaman kind of end and the rest of what we're going to study about Naaman are the warnings or admonition for us today. You see, despite his very sincere desire to be cleansed, he made quite a few mistakes along the way to do so. Mistakes that almost entirely defeated his purpose. He almost remained a leper for the rest of his days, even though he was told... How to, how to be cured. 
Even though he was given the information he needed, he still almost went to his grave a leper. You know, sadly, I've seen the modern equivalent to this. Some today, when they are told how to have their sins washed away, will still turn away and remain in sin. And they will do it by making the very same mistakes that Naaman made in this chapter. And so with this in mind, let's now get to the meat of our sermon and let's start noticing some mistakes that Naaman made. And again, keeping in mind that these things are, were written for our learning. These are examples and written for our admonition and they're written so that we can be wise unto salvation. Let's notice now verses 6 and 7 in our text. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is coming to thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? That this, man do, that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy. Wherefore consider, I pray thee, and see how, how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And so what was Naaman's first mistake? His first mistake is that he went to the wrong person. Now reflect back on what we already know. The young girl from which this information had originated, she clearly indicated that it, there was a prophet in Israel who could cleanse leprosy. However, rather than seeking out that prophet immediately, for some reason or another, Naaman goes to the king for healing. Now, you know, I, rather than just throw Naaman under the bus, I, I would like to at least attempt to try to maybe think about what maybe Naaman had in mind. Maybe we could cut him a little slack. Uh, maybe we could suppose that maybe he figured if there was a prophet that had such power in Israel, then surely he would be at the king's right hand in the, in the court and at, at the king's beck and call. And likely that would be the case, except for the fact that in Israel, in these times, they're practicing idolatry. They're very wicked and immoral, and they would much rather, they are much more likely to kill the prophets of God than to have them in their court. Perhaps Naaman intended to find out from the king the prophet's whereabouts, and maybe even get the king's permission to travel through his land and seek him out. Maybe some of these things were in Naaman's mind. The problem is, though, that the text doesn't tell us any of that. It's not, and it's certainly not the way the king interprets. Notice the king's response. The king rents his clothes or tears them. It's, it's a sign of grief, a sign of anger and distress. He figures this is some kind of plot. The Syrians have already invaded us once before. That's how he had the damsel in his house to begin with. And, and so now they're, about, they're seeking a reason to invade my kingdom again. The point that I'm making here is the king didn't have the power to cure leprosy. And no amount of gifts that Naaman could bring would ever change that. And friends, many are making this same mistake today concerning salvation. Perhaps they've heard that, G that salvation is in Jesus Christ, and, tr and surely that is true. There's neither salvation in any other, for there is none other name given among men by which we should, can be saved, or, should, or must be saved, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. 
But rather than going to Jesus himself in the only way that we have possible today, that is through the scriptures that are written, rather than doing that, people oftentimes will go to religious figureheads instead of Christ. They go to priests. They go to professors. They go to preachers, and often that's the last stop that they have planned. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with going to your preacher and and asking him questions, but a lot of times this is the only stop they have planned. And they unwittingly then place their eternal hope in the opinions of men. The truth is that all any man can do is direct a person to the Word of God. Just as we see that all the king could do in this account was direct Naaman to the prophet Elisha who at the time was the mouthpiece of God. Sometimes people will even go to the thief on the cross rather than the Savior on the cross. What mistake did Naaman make? First of all, his first mistake was that he went to the wrong person. His second mistake, let's notice verses 8 through 11 now. Verses 8 through 11. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now unto me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the river Jordan, or wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again into thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought, he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and strike or wave his hand over the place and recover the leper. And so now we see a second mistake that Naaman has made, and that mistake is he had preconceived ideas about how this was going to take place. He's actually been told what to do now, and his response, anger. Anger. Why is he angry? According to the text, he said, Behold, I thought, which reveals something. It reveals that he had preconceived ideas about how this process was going to happen. He thought that this was going to be a big show. He thought he was going to go to something like Benny Hinn's healing crusade. But instead, what really happened was very unexciting, right? And so, where did he get such ideas in the first place? Where did he get ideas about what this process should look like? Well, perhaps it must have been something he either had seen or something that he had heard. Maybe this is the way the pagan soothsayers did it back in Syria. Or maybe this is the way he had heard false, pra- false prophets in Israel had done it. Or maybe he at one time, maybe a, a true prophet of God at one time or another did do something in this way. But the point is this. Naaman had accepted what he had seen or heard other, from other men as the way that God should operate. And then he judged the message from the man of God against his own preconceived idea. What he should have done, and what we all should do, is to just empty ourselves out of all preconceived ideas and just be filled with the Word of God. That's what we should do. That's what he should have done. But many people today, just like Naaman, they have preconceived ideas about how salvation ought to come about, what will happen, what will it look like, what will it sound like. And these Ideas, they originate from things that they have seen and things that they have heard, but not from things that they have read in God's Word. 
Maybe they come up with these ideas from, maybe this is something that they grew up being taught, uh, that they were taught as they were growing up. Maybe this is something they heard from a preacher on, a, on television or from a podcast. They've heard, some, they've heard something like that you can be saved alone by, by faith alone or that you can be saved by saying the sinner's prayer or that you, to be saved you have to have some kind of miraculous experience. And so they have these preconceived ideas and then when they go to the Word of God and none of these things were connected to salvation and you show them that, they get mad. You say, wait a minute, I don't believe that. That's not what I was taught. You know, when someone hears something different from what they've been taught or otherwise have come to believe, they often will get mad. Why do they get mad? Because they feel like their faith is under attack. And I guess we could say that is somewhat understandable. But here's another point we all need to learn so that we don't find ourselves in the position of Naaman. If we will not allow our faith and our preconceived ideas related to our faith to be tested, well, we're really just gambling on our salvation. We're just hoping that what we were told by someone along the way happens to be right. Because we've, banked, we've put everything, we've put, our, we've put everything we've got on that person's testimony. But let's go back to our verse, verse uh, back to our text and read verse number 12, and let's notice another mistake he makes. In response to this, he said, in response to being told to go to the River Jordan, <coughs> he says, Are not the Abna and the far, far rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and went away in a rage. And so we come to the third misconception or mistake that Naaman had, and that is he thought there were improvements or alternatives that could be made. Notice now that Naaman, in his anger, he begins to argue against what he's been told. It just doesn't seem to make any sense to him. Naaman felt that the clear waters, the clear rivers that flowed in Damascus in the, high, in the highlands were just as good, if not better, than the muddy Jordan River and. I guess according to conventional wisdom, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I would, I, if I was trying to clean something, if I was trying to, trying to clean a garment, it would make sense to use to find a cleaner water somewhere. But what he is not thinking about is the fact that he's not just rejecting the prophet of God, he's rejecting God. If this man is a prophet of God, he's rejecting God. And so now, in his anger, he does something really illogical. He suggests that he knows better how to cure leprosy than the prophet of God that he's traveled all this way to come ask. <laughs> it really seems rather illogical, but as illogical as that is, do you realize that people are still making the same mistake today? They come to Jesus Christ wanting to be saved, but they want to be saved on their own terms. They want to be saved according to their sectarian beliefs according to their family traditions that have been handed down to them. Sometimes they want to be saved according to their own imaginations that they've come up with. And so some, like Naaman, will say things like immersion are not sprinkling and pouring just as good. They certainly require less water. And if God can take away my sins by immersion, well, surely He can do it in other ways without water at all, perhaps. This was a mistake on Naaman's part, and it is one on our part too. 
when we presume, presume to be saved according to our own terms. I mean, if we, want to be, if we think we can be saved under our own terms, according to our own terms, why even come to Jesus anyway? We apparently think that we can save ourselves if we're going to be saved according to our own terms. <clears throat> you know, the next mistake that Naaman made, we don't even have to read any further. It comes from the same verse. Please notice a fourth mistake that he made was he thought that the power was in the water. Naaman, you can see this from the statement that Naaman was, was focusing too much on the method when he said, may I not wash in them and be clean? So see, Naaman, he misunderstood the water to be an, the agent of the cleansing. Of course, river water or water of any other kind has never cured leprosy. In reality, what was going to cure his leprosy? It was going to be the power of God, and God was going to work through that water to do that. The dipping in the water was just a required test of faith. It was for obedience's sake. It was simply the method that God used in connection with an obedient heart to bring about the healing in Naaman's life. You know, today people are making the same mistake again as Naaman made right here. Many will suggest to us, Water cannot wash away sin, therefore baptism is not necessary in order to be saved. Both they and Naaman make the mistake of believing that the power is in the water. Well, first of all, the, the first proposition is true. Water does not wash away sin. Not for Naaman and not for the Christian. The power of God would work through the act of Naaman's obedience. And the same is true for, for the Christian. It's actually the blood of Christ that's the cleansing agent. It's the blood, precious blood of Jesus that washes away sin. But it works through baptism. As Saul of Tarsus was told, Arise and be baptized, calling on, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It was, it's through baptism that God applies that blood to our life. It was after Naaman dipped the seventh time as he was commanded to do so that his skin was cleansed, and it is after we rise from the watery grave of baptism that we begin to walk in newness of life, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 5. You see, we have to submit to His plan and show our humble obedience in that way, and then God performs the operation. Listen to how Paul said that, Colossians 2, 12. Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith in the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Let's go back to our text and read verses 13 and 14 now. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, would thou, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he said to thee, Wash and be clean? Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan according to the saying of the man of God and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child and he was clean. I want us to notice now Naaman's fifth and final mistake. That is, he stumbled at the simplicity of the command. Naaman was about to leave in a rage and his servant pointed out something to him that it pointed out to him his folly that he couldn't see because of his anger. He told them that if it was some great thing that the prophet had said do, 
wouldn't he have done it? And the point rang loud and clear with Naaman. Yes, the prophet would. If he had told him to do some incredible thing, he would have done it. And this begs the question, why then was he trying to resist something that was so simple to do? I think maybe the answer is that it just sounded too easy. He didn't think it would work. And so he stumbled at the simplicity of it. And friends, many are making that same mistake today. They stumble at the simplicity of God's plan of salvation. Either they will make it more complex than what the Bible says, or they will reduce it down to less than what God has required. Friends, God doesn't need our opinions. He doesn't need our help. He wants our faith, and He wants our obedience. And notice what happened then when Naaman finally did just obey what got put away all his preconceived ideas and just obeyed what the Scripture said. Then he went down, dipped himself seven times in Jordan according to the man of God, and his flesh came unto him again like unto the flesh of a child, and he was clean. What a great account, friends. What a, this is one of those timeless truths Uh, That was the theme of this year's lectures at Memphis School of Preaching, and this account is full of timeless truths, warnings, and wisdom. The similarities in this account and salvation today are too clear to be ignored. First of all, sin is a disease of which Christ is the only remedy. Second of all, we must come to Him in order to be healed. Third, We must leave all our preconceived ideas behind. Four, we must submit to his plan and never try to alter it or make substitutions to it. Five, we must understand that water is not the cleansing agent, but water is in the plan. Finally, we must not stumble at the simplicity, but rather simply submit in humility and faith And then we can be made new again, just like Naaman. But rather than have the flesh of a little child, we'll have the soul of a little child, clean and new. And so with this, friend, I commend this lesson to you. I hope that this lesson does make you wise unto salvation. I hope that you can take these examples that were written for our admonition and be warned from them to not make the same mistakes that Naaman made. And so will you today as we close, if you are not a child of God, if you have not been baptized, to have your sins washed away, will you not today follow the positive example of Naaman and come to the Savior, no matter the cost, no matter where it leads? Will you not resolve not to make the mistakes that we identified today that Naaman made? To obey the gospel is very simple. The Bible tells us we must hear the word, we must hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, verse number 17. We must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus said, unless you believe that I I am He, you will die in your sins, uh, John chapter 8, verse number 24. We must repent of our sins. Jesus said, I tell you, nay, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. We must confess for with the heart man believeth into righteousness but with the mouth a confession is made into salvation Romans chapter 10 verse number 10 and finally we must be baptized Jesus said he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved Mark 
verse 16, chapter 16 and verse number 16. And as we pointed out in the account of Saul of Tarsus, Acts chapter 22, verse 16 tells us that baptism washes away our sins. And as we've also pointed out, in reality it's the blood of Christ that does it, but it does it through that process of baptism. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 tells us that we are buried with Him, that is Jesus, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. When does the newness of life occur? After one is risen from the watery grave of baptism. If we can help you today to do this, we stand ready and we would rejoice to do so. Or maybe there's a child of God here today that sinned along the way of his Christian journey. The Bible tells us that the Christian can sin and a Christian can fall from grace. And how do we prevent that? When we sin, we confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we can help you today, we stand ready as we stand and sing.